Blog Talk Radio. It's the birthplace of college football. It's difficult to miss the huge statue of William Leggett outside SHI Stadium, like it was the captain of Rutgers football team when it took the field for the first college football game in the history of the sport. Rutgers faced the College of New Jersey, now Princeton University, on November 6, 1869, 1-6-4. To celebrate the 150th anniversary of college football, Rutgers theater students suited up and threw it back to the 1800s, reenacting the first game ahead of the university's first game of the 2019 season. <laughs> Meadow Productions and Sportsbeat Radio, this is Sportsbeat, a provocative, insightful, informative, and educational show that we hope will educate the sports listener to the specific of sport. With interviews, analysis, and a comprehensive look at the topics we feel will be appealing to the listener, and so with that said, we're not just your average call-in, same subject, same question over and over sports radio. We like to think of ourselves as informative and educational radio. So why not sit back and for the next 30 minutes or so, we hope you'll find the program informative, educational, and above all, enjoyable. And with that said and done, this is Sports Beat, and we're coming at you live. And I'm your host, John Spoiler. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this second day of September, Friday, the second 2022. Thanks so much for joining us on this segment again of Sports Beat Radio Talking Sports. And today we're going to be talking about that very, very first game. You heard the sound by courtesy of NJTV and the interview that they did uh, on the first game back on uh, November 6, 1869, only a few years after the Civil War. A lot of people you know, question when was the first game, and that was really the first bona fide game. There probably were others uh, that were not really recorded, just like there were baseball games and things that probably weren't recorded before uh, the time of the advent of Abner Doubleday, who basically created baseball. But we wanted to talk really uh, about the first game, and uh, it was uh, interesting because uh, it happened, uh, and of all places, Princeton. We've uh, had our issues with Princeton over the last uh, several months uh, talking about some of the dishonesty that goes on in their sports program. They're not the only school, but we focus on them because they are our state schools. We broadcast uh, to you from New Jersey. So what was it like then, 1869? Uh, you know, Rutgers has been around. They uh, were around before then. It was Queens College. If you pass uh, Old Queens, that is, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, some of the more original buildings. I don't know if any of the actual original buildings from the very earliest times are still there, but uh, you pass that on Route 18 as you uh, pass the university. It has several campuses. And Old Queens is where the administration, the president, and all that uh, are headquartered. And so the uh, game was played in a cow pasture uh, in Piscataway, New Jersey, played between the Princeton Scarlet Knights, who wore scarlet kind of turbans in a way, and 
the College of New Jersey, which would later become uh, Princeton University. So uh, in these days of kind of prodigious publicity for great battles of the gridiron, you know, we look at the heroes uh, of 150 years ago, and, you know, it's an interesting scenario when you think of it. Princeton and Rutgers are neighbors, and naturally the evolution of the sport was along similar lines. The styles of the game played almost identical. And so the story was that on May 5th, 1866, Princeton had heavily defeated Rutgers by 40 runs to two, 40 to two baseball game. And that was the early fall of 1869. The student sentiment of New Brunswick, therefore, was rife with further tilt against Princeton. And the agitation centered upon football as the medium of conclusions. So the leading campus players basically organized and elected William J. Leggett as their captain. And a challenge then was framed in the uh, form of that period and forwarded to Princeton. And this defiant but courteous document, as they said, invented the, invited, I should say, the men of Nassau Hall, which was uh, Princeton University, for the name Princeton as a university title had made its first appearance only the preceding spring on the shirts of a baseball nine in the game against the Athletics, April 21st, 1869, to play a series of three games, and the first at New Brunswick, the second at Princeton, and the third also at New Brunswick. And it was impressive to think in passing how the popularizing of the name of Princeton by the athletic teams eventually supplanted the official title of the college. So the receipt of the challenge aroused great enthusiasm in Princeton, William S. Gamere, uh, one of the leading campus players and a famous fielder on the College Nine, was chosen as captain. And fortunately for the history of football, uh, he also possessed another qualification, which in life's career has carried him into the position of Chief Justice of the state of New Jersey. Uh, foreseeing that the first requisite for a game of intercollegiate football was a sound code of ethics, he immediately commenced the settlement of these preliminaries in conjunction with Captain Leggett. And the only difficulty arose in the disposition of a free kick. At Princeton, a player catching the ball on the fly or first bound was entitled to have a space of 10 feet clearing before him and without hindrance to have, therefore, a free kick at the goal. Kind of a almost football-soccer type thing. And so at Rutgers, no such play was known, and this point was adjusted by providing for no free kicks in the game at New Brunswick, but allowing the play in the game at Princeton. So the rules for this contest are interesting, and being in the first set of football rules formulated in this country, of course, are of great historical importance. And they were as, as follows. The grounds must be 360 feet long by 225 feet wide. Goals must be eight paces. Each side shall have 25 a little different than today, of course. No throwing or running with the ball. If either it is a foul and the ball then must be thrown perpendicularly in the air by the side causing the foul. And then no holding the ball or free kicks allowed. A ball passing beyond the boundary by the side of the goal shall be kicked on from the boundary by the side who has the goal. A ball passing beyond the limit on the side of the field shall be kicked on horizontally to the boundary by the side which kicked it out. No tripping or holding of players. The winner of the first toss has the choice of position, much like it is, of course, today. The winner of the second toss has the first kickoff. And there shall be four judges and two referees. So that date was uh, November 6, 1869. 
And despite the primitiveness of uh, the train that steamed out of Princeton at 9 o'clock on that memorable morning was crowded to the aisles and platforms with a freight of eager students. And in 1869 and for many years later, old-fashioned hospitality was observed among colleges toward one another to a degree that is almost unbelievable in the rude lack of proprieties that characterize today. And a baseball game was far from the formal fixture it is today. It was a social event without superior in the life of a college. Rutgers, accordingly, in a mass, met their visitors at the station and devoted the day exclusively to their hearty entertainment. So the game was called in at afternoon at 3 o'clock, and the field selected was part of the vacant lot across the street from the present athletic field at Rutgers. Uh, The events immediately the game were as primitive as the game itself. Spectators who had arrived early appreciated and appropriated seatings upon the top board of a fence which partly surrounded the field while the others found places on the ground. There was no admission fee, no waving of flags. And the famous orange and black was uh, inundated by seven years, but there were college songs and uh, college cheer, Princeton's booming rocket call, hissing and bursting just as it is today, and the players arrived a few minutes before 3 p.m., and simply laying aside their hats, coats, and vests stood uh, for the game, and the only touch of costume being red turbans, which I said earlier, which were worn by Rutgers men, a fashion long copied thereafter by other college teams. The Princeton 25 appeared to be much larger and heavier than their opponents, and while the sp- were giving the players some preliminary advice. The officials and captains were adjusting an objection to the very small size of the ball provided. So of the players who lined up, uh, only the following can be recalled. There were, I'm going to name some of them, not all of them, there were 25. W.C. Chambers, W.W. Flaggard, C.M. Field, a lot of people use their initials then, W.S. Gamir, W.H. Buck, all these uh, guys uh, played. Now, they uh, also graduated 1870, 1871, 1872. Uh, that was Princeton. Some of the players for Rutgers, most of them graduating 71, 72, 73. J.W. J. Herbert, uh, G.H. Stevens, C.H. Hill, uh, they were all part of the uh, team. So the tactical organization of this players was the same on both sides. Two men were selected by each team to play immediately in front of the opponent's goal and were known as captains of the enemy's goal. So these positions for Princeton were filled by uh, several players, two players actually, and for Rutgers, uh, two players also. The remainder of each team was divided into two sections. The players of one section were assigned to certain tracks of the field, which they were to cover and not leave, and these players were known as fielders. So the other section was detailed to follow the ball up and down the field, and these latter players were called bulldozers. And they are easily recognizable in the evolution of the game as the forerunners of the modern rush line. So the toss of the coin for advantage gave Princeton the ball and Rutgers the wind. Amid a hush of expectancy among the spectators, uh, Princeton kicked the ball, as they called it, precisely as it is done today for a tee of earth. But the kick was bad, and the ball glanced to one side. In the light, agile Rutgers men pounced upon it like hounds, and by driving it to short kicks or dribbles, the other players surrounded the ball and not permitting a Princeton man to get near it, quickly and craftily forcing it down the old Nassau goal, where Dixon and Gano, Rutgers captains of the enemy goal, were waiting. And these two later sent the ball between the posts amid great applause from the fence-top fans. So... You know, moving on with it, every college player has 
had the humorous tradition of some player who becoming confused in the excitement of play has scored against his own team. We remember the famous uh, uh, Jim Marshall run of the Minnesota Vikings who ran the wrong way. Uh, what a great player, too. It was unfortunate as, as the crowd is yelling at him and his players are also pointing in the opposite direction. Uh, but this tradition at Rutgers almost dated from the first game for one of her players in the sixth period started to kick the ball through his own goalpost, and the kick was blocked, but Princeton took advantage of the opportunity and soon made the goal. So this turn of the game apparently disorganized Rutgers, for Princeton also scored the next goal after a few minutes of play, thus bringing the total to four. So the memorable day in the, in the game basically ended 8-6. Uh, the memorable day closed with a supper in which both teams participated together, interspersing songs and speeches and roasting game birds for the New Jersey, from the New Jersey marshes and meadows. And the second game of the series uh, took place now in Princeton because Princeton wanted revenge after losing uh, to uh, the Scarlet Knights of Rutgers. So it was the following Saturday. This was November 13, 1869, the arena being a field across the street from the famous Slidell Mansion later the home of Grover Cleveland. Those of you who are familiar with Princeton or go there, uh, that area is still around. Uh, the second contest, however, was played according to Princeton's custom of free kicks from catch on fly or bound. And as Princeton had evolved a high form of strategy in kicking the ball from one uh, to another of their side at close distances, this created a series of fair catches and free kicks, and Rutgers was wholly outclassed and defeated by eight goals or more. It was eight-nothing was the final score. And um, one of the reasons was because uh, the first game was played according uh, with, I believe, the rules of London and the uh, rules of uh, Princeton, excuse me, the rules of Rutgers, which uh, the Rutgers players were much quicker than that original Princeton team. And so when the second game took place at Princeton University, uh, the rules of Princeton were used, and that really slowed down uh, almost like Army and Notre Dame back in 1913 when Army was a, was a brood of a team and got crushed by uh, the passing of uh, Gus Reyes and uh, the uh, Notre Dame passing attack, which Army had no answer for. So that's kind of the way it ended. It was uh, a little different time then than it is now, not quite the hostilities, you know, in sports, uh, we see, you know, for those of you who attend sports, I think probably every game there's a fight. Uh, I've seen people knocked out, teeth knocked out, people knocked unconscious, uh, curse words, you know, it doesn't matter if there's women there or kids there. Uh, it seems to, sports, you know, in some way it seems to uh, accumulate the dregs of the earth. Uh, and uh, there's even been situations, if you remember a few years ago, uh, where uh, one uh, one of the fans was actually killed wearing a uh, Giants jersey, I believe it was. It was the uh, Giants playing the Dodgers, and uh, he had his son with him, ten year old son, and he was uh, the, the the father was killed actually by uh, these uh, ingrate uh, people fans. So. You know, it was a little different time then, uh, the courtesies, you know, of uh, greeting your uh, foe on the train and entertaining them, and also, uh, you know, the situation of having a dinner afterwards and everybody shaking hands. And uh, so that was really the, the advent and the beginning of what college football would become. There was going to be another game, but the 
hierarchy of the schools, both schools, particularly Princeton, uh, really started to tire of the enthusiasm of sport and wanted to get back to the basics of education. After all, the president of the university said, we're here to learn theology and, um, you know, uh, Latin and mathematics. We're not here to bounce balls. And so the third game was stricken, and uh, that was the end of the series for a while until, of course, sports started to rear its head again. And now uh, we see what it's become. It's become a disaster, in my view, where uh, it's all about money, of course. It's all about uh, team switching, like uh, USC and UCLA going to, uh, uh, you know, a different conference, which kind of leaves their conference, the Pac-12, uh, you know, barren, uh, the NIL creating the opportunity for athletes to make money while student athletes, or actually students, I should say, uh, uh, try to scrape by to be able to pay tuition. And the whole thing has been bastardized uh, to the point where uh, it will be an interesting situation to see later in the future uh, whether or not it burns itself out, whether people are really going to be watching it. And, uh, you know, we see baseball today. I've mentioned it numerous times. And the Major League Baseball, as much as Ma Rob Manfred uh, likes to toot its horn, uh, it's a sport that's in trouble. It's a sport that has maybe eight to ten teams that are anywhere near viable for playoffs. The rest of them suck. They're terrible. Uh, there is no uh, reason for a lot of these teams to be that bad because they all share money. Now, some teams, of course, in baseball and sports are wealthier than others, like the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers because of their cable interests and so forth. But still, uh, you know, a team like Detroit, a team like uh, Pittsburgh, a team like uh, Arizona, all losers, Cincinnati losers, uh, you know, you just look through the lineup. Uh, you look at uh, the Padres who, uh, you know, have uh, extreme wealth and have, have just built a kind of a star-studded team now with uh, Juan Soto and everything. There's 20 games behind. The sport is uh, non-recognizable. It's all about home runs. Basketball is the same way with their three-pointers. It's a three-point circus for every game. There's no uh, skill to the sport anymore. Most of the people I interview who played the game uh, when it meant something no longer watch it. Uh, Dennis Autry was one of them. I don't know if you remember Dennis Autry. Dennis Autry was famous for punching Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but he's also a very good defensive player. Uh, he played for a number of teams. He started with the Sixers. He won a uh, chip with Seattle. He played in that memorable Game 5 uh, at the Boston Garden between the Phoenix Suns and the uh, Boston Celtics that went into triple overtime. The shot heard round the world by Gar Hurd hitting that top-of-the-key jumper. And he doesn't watch basketball. He says, I can't watch it today. And football, kind of the same way. I mean, you know, we, we look at football and how, how expensive it is to go. And and in the last couple of years, and I've been a fairly uh, advent fan of watching it, the games haven't been that good. I mean, the one thing that made up for the lack of uh, excitement uh, was the Buffalo-Kansas City game that went into overtime. And even then, you know, you, you look at some of these players who defend against the pass and they, they – they heads they try to read the eyes and that cost uh when kelsey made, made the catch and beat the buffalo bills that really cost them and so you know it's not the same courtesies it's not the same meaning 
that it once was 150 years ago. And, uh, of course, you know, those of you who are listening and saying, well, you know, things have changed. We're not like that anymore. Certainly we're not. But it hasn't been that long that we have not been that way. Uh, people today much less courteous than they were. Uh, can you imagine, you know, uh, college teams meeting uh, the other team at the train station? Well, of course, they, they fly today. Or meeting them at the airport or having dinner with them. It doesn't happen. It's all about money. You know, it's about Nick Saban making $11.5 million. Not that he doesn't deserve it, but that's what it's about. It's about student athletes um, who forget their students and uh, want to be paid money to play the game. Well, they've already received scholarships where their uh, college is paid for. So that really was the start. And if you go to Rutgers University today uh, to see the uh, uh, game there, and they will be playing tomorrow in their opener against Boston College uh, up at Chestnut Hill in uh, Massachusetts. Boston College, I believe, is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. We're going to see, uh, again, uh, the uh, local papers of uh, New Jersey always tooting the horn of Rutgers, and every year they're usually a disaster. So we'll see what happens. Uh, can they pull it out or can they not? Uh, Greg Sheehan has been uh, apparently on the move to uh, rectify the team, and uh, they have a kicker now from Ireland, which is interesting. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing about college football is that that is the birthplace of all places of college football. It wasn't New York. You know, it wasn't Pennsylvania. It wasn't Delaware. It wasn't Massachusetts. It was in the Garden State of uh, New Jersey 150-plus years ago in a cow pasture, basically, that uh, kind of connected uh, the university to farmland. And, of course, you drive there now, and, you know, there's no hope of farmland. It's all uh, urban, of course. But uh, that was the first game. And then, of course, as I said, the, the moguls of the universities uh, got together, more, more so Princeton, and felt, look, you know, we're not here to play games. We're here to learn. And so they forbade uh, any further series between the two teams. And that would continue later. Uh, after uh, I think the moguls of the university started to realize that sports was uh, something that they could uh, put their arms around in unison with the school. And so the interesting thing, you heard the sound by courtesy of NJTV. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Rutgers University reenacted uh, the game. Women were dressed in the 1869 styles, and the players came out with their turbans on, uh, which I said uh, set a precedence, uh, Rutgers set a precedence. They, they actually wanted to look different than uh, their counterparts, so they came out with uh, red kind of turban, like a sock type thing on their heads, plus red socks kind of like football socks today. They, they had these red uh, socks on, and uh, they uh, played a very good game because they were a very fast team, and it was in accordance with their rules. Once Princeton was able to fortify their rules, basically what it did is it slowed down the very quick offense and tempo of the uh, Scarlet Knights, and they were shut out 8 nothing. Now, this is long before, you know, Walter Camp came and, and put his uh, take on game and 
oh, with uh, the touchdown being six points and the uh, extra point and the field goal and all of that, um, there were a lot of soccer-type issues with that first game. It recognized not really the way modern football was. And then, of course, they had a – and I'm not sure if they actually did it. I assume they did. Uh, They took what they called the wedge, where they would form like a V – and the running back would have the ball. He would be inside the V. They would just mow people down. And uh, that created a lot of injuries, and including deaths. There were over 18 deaths in a period of uh, several years uh, because of it. And finally, uh, as I think I mentioned in other shows, uh, Theodore Roosevelt was a very, very big uh, fan of the game. He was concerned that the game may be banned because of the injuries, and he uh, took forth the issue to make college football safer by eliminating the wedge and so forth. So that's kind of the, the way it worked way back in 1869. It's a question that uh, we get asked a lot, like when was when was the first pro game? And uh, the, the very first pro game was in September of 1920. I think the Columbus Panhandlers uh, were shut out 14 to nothing. I don't remember who they played. It might have been the Dayton Triangles. You can look that up. But that was the actual first game of the first year of the NFL, which was not called the NFL in 1920. Uh, they didn't call it the National Football League in 1922. And oddly, they didn't play a uh, championship game until 1933, 13 years after the league was uh, formed. And so what would happen in the NFL is the team that finished first were the national champions. And so the first real champion uh, were not the Green Bay Packers of 1967 in the first Super Bowl, but the Akron Pros, who I believe were 5-2-2. Two, and two. They had the best record uh, in the National Football League, and they were the champions. They didn't play a game to determine why they didn't. Uh, there's no real record of why. I guess they just felt that they didn't have to do it. And then in 1933, was the uh, first championship game. And, of course, that went over very, very well. And its success, of course, spawned what we see now. The event of the year, people call it the Super Bowl. Most of them have been duds. Uh, I've seen every one of them from 1967. I was actually at the first one, uh, being 13 years old. Uh, The excitement of it, of course, is uh, interesting. Uh, That game was $10 $12. And people bitched and moaned about uh, the prices of it because they had raised the prices. People were complaining. Uh, it was only it was the first Super Bowl that was not sold out. Uh, of course, it was at the uh, Los Angeles Coliseum, which held at that time about 100,000 people. So if you look at the pictures and the videos, you'll see the end zones are pretty open. Uh, but they still had 61, almost 62,000 people there. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's certainly uh, like everything else. It's priced itself out. It's a game now for the rich. Uh, you can probably get a cheap seat for three or four thousand, but uh, you know it's amazing what sports has become in the essence of uh, not allowing the average Joe, so to speak, attend the game because of price. I mean, you look at the average baseball game today, between parking and food and tickets and everything else, it costs you 150 to 200 dollars, and they wonder why the stadiums around the country are are, are empty. Well, part of it is is that, and the other part is the season's too long. The other part of it is uh, the uh, entertainment sucks. 
because you, get, you don't have pitchers that can last anymore because they all throw 100 miles an hour and blow out their arms. You don't have the finesse of the hit and run or uh, the old drag bunt that Matty Alou used to do uh, or any of the, uh, the hit and run. It's all about home runs. We're worried about how many home runs Aaron Judge can get instead of seeing the finesse of the game. And the kids aren't playing the game. Millennials aren't watching the game. And it's boring. And it lasts too long. And uh, Manfred's out to lunch if he thinks that uh, this is a sport that has any kind of future uh, in America. It has dropped drastically from its post of America's pastime. And uh, it would be very interesting to see if indeed it can pass the test of time. So anyway, that was a look at the first game of uh, college, the birthplace of college football, Piscataway, New Jersey, Rutgers University playing the with their turbans on and their Red Sox, the uh, Princeton Tigers. And then, of course, uh, that game 8-6, and then the following game played at Princeton University was a shutout 8 nothing as Princeton utilized their rules to slow down that uh, Rutgers offense. Well, I'm about to do it for our show today. Thanks so much for joining us on another segment of Sports Beat Radio Talk and Sports. Today, talking about college's first game, November 1869, between the Rutgers Scarlet Knights and the Princeton Tigers. Sports Beat's been a presentation of Mountain Meadow Productions and Sports Beat Radio. And until next time, all of you have a great day and great sports. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you soon. Enjoy your Labor Day. 